Geek Bill Radio. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler hole has been breached. Spoiler hole has been breached. You know, folks, we're just gonna get the spoiler alert out of the way. This this show is pretty much just gonna be nothing but spoilers. Spoilers. Spoilers everywhere. We're gonna talk Falcon and Winter Soldier, the finale. We're gonna talk the news that came out of that. We're getting Captain America four. We may even be getting a Dark Avengers movie. And we'll wind things up talking the Mortal Kombat movie, which will also be spoilers. And uh, also, which may not be a spoiler, but why we haven't done a Godzilla vs. Kong review yet. So once again, joining me from the nice Hoff padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train, Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. You have been warned. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we've been reviewing all the episodes of Falcon and Winter Soldier like we did for WandaVision. And like WandaVision, I think we all liked it. WandaVision was a little longer. I think it was nine episodes, maybe eight, as opposed to Falcon and Winter Soldier only being six. And I think I liked Falcon and Winter Soldier a little better than WandaVision. Not that WandaVision was bad, but like I said at the start uh, of the series, this felt like MCU right out of the gates, whereas WandaVision, you, you had those three episodes that were like the sitcom parodies before the story really got going. That's just my opinion. I, uh, do you really compare them? I can see if you don't think it's uh, fair to compare yeah, them. I, I think it's fair to compare them that way. Two things we need to remember. Before the great pandemic of 2020, WandaVision wasn't supposed to drop until after Falcon. Falcon Winter Soldier was supposed to be the first of these new Marvel series on Disney Plus to drop anyways, and it got mm-hmm. changed. Yeah. So that might have something to do with it. I also think that at the end of the day, I think the purpose of the, I think we'll see it with Loki as well, which of course starts in about a a little bit over a month now, is the whole purpose of all these are to further stories along of characters we've become emotionally invested with through the Marvel Cinematic Universe that did not die or retire or whatever based on the end of Endgame. These are characters that they want to continue telling stories about, and so they're just trying to fill us into that and at the same time introduce new characters like john walker like monica rambo i guess monica's not a real not an introduction it's a reintroduction to an adult monica but Mm -hmm. still you understand what i'm saying yeah and and then at the same time also give us a little bit of information about the the aftermath of the blip and then the undoing of the blip and the, the destruction of Thanos. Cause all those things are very important to where they're going in, in phase four and beyond. And I think both the shows did that. Well, I think Loki probably will too. It, it's interesting that you say you felt a little rushed on this one. And a lot of that had to do with number of episodes, but like you just said, the first three episodes were kind of in, it wasn't until the last six episodes that it felt like WandaVision kind of go, well, that's the same number of, of episodes in total that there were in Falcon Winter Soldier. So mm-hmm. maybe six episodes is about the right length for telling those stories that I just talked about that they want to tell. Once again, I, I, I could see your criticism of it feeling rushed, but is that more because it was just six episodes or – did you just feel like they didn't tell the story or what? What 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 is your reason for feeling it was a little bit rushed? Well, I think the first five episodes were were excellent. Some were better than others. 
And it, I think the best episode overall was probably the fourth one, which ended with John Walker killing Nico. But even the fifth episode, what it lacked in action, it made up for in character development and story. But this, the finale, I think it felt a little rushed because we had so many loose ends getting tied up. We basically had something for, for each character, and they kind of implied throughout essentially the entirety of the series that Bucky is going to have to face uh, Yuri or Yori and tell him, I murdered your son, which he did, but it was like, it, it was what, like a 15 second scene, and that was it. Right. And, the, and, then, and then he's giving the, the note to the doctor, thanking her for, for her help. And it's just like, well, well that's, that's it. We didn't get any reaction to what Yuri had. It, it, it was so stuff like you that. You felt, felt anticlimactic. That's probably a better way of putting it, yeah. I guess I could see that critique, but it's, but but my my counter to that would be, and it's not dissimilar to counters I have on other issues with other properties when I have these debates with people. How else do you expect the people that, that wrote the showrunners to handle it? He's not going to beat up some old man. And what's the payoff to an old man losing it? If he'd have lost it on Bucky, well, now you've opened up a whole new can of worms. And and do we going to do another six episodes of Bucky going down this road of still feeling maudlin and brooding? I'm not trying to tell you you're wrong. I'm just saying, put yourself in the shoes of a, of a storyteller. What else could you have done for there been, been finality other than the way they did it? Well, quite frankly, I was expecting the scene like that to happen maybe halfway through the series. And there's that okay. drift apart between them. And then in the final episode, Yori finally forgives him because... Obviously, when he was Winter Soldier, he was not in control of his actions. He was being brainwashed. So you're, 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 in other words, you're feeling that if they'd have stretched it out a little bit more, there was something there for some more character development on both characters, and maybe, yeah. and, and you would have, I guess, okay, that's fine. Yeah. yeah, and one other thing about that would be like we had the, the date playing Battleship with uh, the gal at Sushi Shop, maybe yeah. around that same thing, when, when she finds out he was an assassin, she's like, you know, I don't want to see you again, and then again... At the at the end of the show, I, once again, you know. I, I still don't understand. Now, granted, I I know that Bucky was not officially an Avenger, right? Mm -hmm. And his his existence was kind of kept hush hush because of the whole situation of the civil the storyline of Civil War. But you would think after all that had happened, it would be fairly well known public knowledge that Bucky was involved in the defeating of Thanos. So mm -hmm. how to say she did? Her acting like she didn't even know who he was, I, I found that hard to suspend there. It's like, okay, you grew up in Chicago in the 90s. Obviously, everybody knows Michael Jordan and the Bulls. But because you grew up in Chicago, and most of us that grew up following the NBA in the 90s, we know the bit players in that and on those teams too. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. we, we know Tony Kukoc. We know Steve Kerr and some of the other role players on that team. We remember them. Because that team was so dominant. Mm -hmm. How is Bucky any different is what I guess I'm saying. Right, right. He, you know, he may not have been the star number one player, but to use the Bulls analogy, he might have been the John Paxson. Yeah, he's John Paxson. He's Steve Kerr. He's, he's the guy. Exactly. To the earlier Bulls, he's a Bill Cartwright. You know what I'm saying? So he's that guy that if you followed the Bulls at any in the mid 80s to the late 90s, you know, some of these players other than Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan is what I'm saying. I don't, I don't see Bucky as any different. Sam, I think, is a little more high profile because of his his very public relationship with Steve Rogers. But I think everybody would know him. And for her to act like, how old are you? I like she doesn't know. I've always found that to be a little bit of a hard pill to swallow personally. But mm. that's just me. 
Now, as far as one of the stories that they tied up perfectly, I thought was when Sam took Isaiah Bradley to the Captain America exhibit and showed him the statue and they had that hug. And once again, Carl Lumley's performance in this, we all know how how good of an actor he was, but it's just like, even by his standards, this was a great performance and about how he was finally able to make peace with what happened because Sam showed him nobody's going to forget what you did now. Because remember Sam earlier in the episode, he even told Sarah that if he went through what Isaiah did, he'd probably feel the same way. And I think that's right. been one of the commentaries for the series about you know, Black Captain America and, and the whole nine yards with that is Sam didn't harbor those negative feelings that Isaiah did. Right. You know, I think this show tackled a real world issue that we we've always had problems with america and it's a hot button issue right now politically and socially which is racism and our history of it in america and i think the show with that storyline went head on with it and treated it fairly and, i think and i think it treated it very fairly of course there was two white guys saying this right <laughs> <laughs> yeah but my point is i think that they didn't shy away from it but i think at the end of the day sam being an african-american and a hero and a proud American is kind of how Marvel wants it to be perceived. Mm-hmm. And you can agree with that. You can disagree with it, but they're sticking to it. it, it that it's in the can. It's, it's out in public now. They're kind of saying, because Sam even says it in that promo that he cuts on Isaiah. Yeah, I'm a black man. I grew up in the South. I get it. But the country's more than just that is basically what he said. And I'm not running from our history. I'm not running from racism. I'm not running from the things we do wrong in America. I'm embracing the things we do right. It was a very Steve Rogers positive spin on it. Right. To relate that back to the Bucky storyline, I think that storyline that they wanted to tell about a very pertinent and current thing with racism, that storyline was such a focus that it probably is why they didn't do as much focusing on the Bucky story. Didn't go the route that you were talking about, maybe stretch it out over a couple of episodes. It's not that I don't think that, that they, they took Bucky's PTSD frivolously, that they did not take it seriously. I think they did. It's just that that particular thing has been addressed in other properties within and without the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That just is where they want to focus. And the fact that he was the last guy on his list that he crossed off and he had that moment and then turned it in, that was kind of the bow on that storyline they wanted to do. And they just, it's not that they didn't feel that that storyline was important. That is always the give and take to creativity, to telling stories that have multiple prongs to the stories, several storylines that you have to wrap up. Some are always going to be reduced or eliminated in favor of others. You know, as a fan of the Harry Potter series, I started reading the books right about the time the first movie. So I had a lot of catching up to do because you got to remember J.K. Rowling had written like the first four books by the time the first movie came out. And she didn't write the fifth book until like a year before the fifth movie came out. So it kind of caught up quickly because they were doing the movies like every year. Yeah, I remember the hoopla about the books uh, about a year before the first movie came out. So, yeah. Right. And as I was seeing the movies with my oldest daughter almost as quickly as I was reading the books. And I was noticing then the things that were left out of the movies that were in the books. And I used to do this as a horror fan reading Stephen King growing up. And, and, And when Stephen King properties would be adapted to films, it would become this game where I would read 
the book and go and, and tell myself as I'm reading it, well, this isn't going to be in the movie and this isn't going to be in the movie. And there, this is because I just understood as a storyteller, this is not important to the overall storyline. It can be eliminated. It's right. fun for the reader. And, and as a comic book fan, you, you do the same. You've told me yourself, you know, the storyline when we're, when we're given an announcement that we're going to give a civil war. We like, we, we were both excited because we both love that storyline in the comics, but we both realized they're going to have to approach it different. Because Civil War was such a long story arc in the comics, where they had built the MCU to that point was not completely in line with the storyline from the comics. And at the time, we didn't even know that they were going to get the right Spider-Man, and it's such a key component to the comic book storyline, it's Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Of course, they wound up getting them right there in time for it. But we were even playing this game of, okay, what are they going to eliminate and what are they not going to eliminate for the movie? Yeah, and you know? who's going to have the Punisher role of switching sides, you know? <laughs> exactly, and it wound up being Black Widow, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I think that's kind of what happened here. I think this is the whole racism, and can a black man represent America with its history of racism? Well, they answered that question. Sam yep. does it, and he does it proudly. And and he does it without compunction, but at the same time, openly admitting, addressing, yeah, we do have a history of racism in this country, and yeah, it's still real, and it does exist, but that doesn't mean that, that, that we forget the good things. I'm reminded of my second favorite movie of all time, which uh, you and my, me talked about off mic about a week ago. And it's an early 80s Vietnam War movie called Uncommon Valor. It stars Gene Hackman, who's my favorite actor of all time. And probably the movie that made me like Gene Hackman. It was the first R-rated movie my father ever took. And on the drive home, it was the first time my father had ever opened up to me about his time in Vietnam. And I was about 12 years old, so I was probably old enough to, to handle some of the adult nature of, of this discussion. But there was a song written for the closing credits to that movie called Brothers in the Night. And it's about the band of brothers, war. The movie is essentially about a retired Marine colonel, who Gene Hackman plays, whose son is MIA. And he gets together a group of his son's old Vietnam buddies to go back into Vietnam against our government's wishes to try to militarily bring back these POWs and MIAs our government says doesn't exist because he believes one of them is his son. So the song is meant to represent the bond that soldiers and Marines, airmen have when they fight in war. The second verse, I think, in that song encapsulates kind of what they're trying to say in Falcon Winter Soldier. And it's the second verse goes, there's darkness and evil that hides behind a mask, but to try to right all wrongs is an impossible task. But yet, in the right time and in the right place, man's courage can redeem mankind's disgrace. Isn't that kind of what they were saying here? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's fair. Just is what it is. There, there's always going to be injustices, and no, and no matter how hard you try, you're never going to beat all of them. But if we're courageous and we remember the past, we will not. Rep- that's kind of what I get out. Of. And, and to be fair, the the subplot with Bucky and putting away his demons. I think that is secondary to the narrative like we're talking about, the the fact that Sam believes that, yes, there's been racism, but we moved past it. And plus, the series was called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, not The Winter Soldier and the Falcon. So just by the title, right. they're kind of implying that. And, and I know, think there are parallels to Bucky's. They're both having these very personal struggles, Sam's with taking on the mantle of Captain America, inheriting the shield, being a black man in America in that high profile of position, a representative, literally a living embodiment of what the good things this country is supposed to represent. And then you throw in the personal 
struggles he has with living up to the memory and standard of his best friend, Steve Rogers, and how well he filled that mantle. Well, I think Bucky's are the same, too. It's just coming from a different perspective, and it is what it is. I'm assuming you see the parallels in both of them struggles, don't you? Oh, yeah. That plot with Bucky, I think, was secondary to the overarching commentary, like what we were talking about. And here, with what I've been talking about it, in the end, I still really liked the finale. So was it really that big of a deal if I'm still heaping praise on the finale like like I have been? My write-up that I put up on geekforradio.com, I still gave the finale an A. So mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. Like Maybe another way to put it is I was kind of expecting the finale to be longer. I mean, it was an average-length episode. Maybe you've been you know, set up by WandaVision because their series finale was so much longer than the other right, episodes. Right, and and you were also talking about the promo that Sam cut on Isaiah. There's also the one that he cut on the politicians at the end where he's— That was incredible. Yeah, he, he was being thanked for stopping the terrorists, and he's like, uh, you're calling them terrorists. You're the, guy, you're the guys rounding them up by gunpoint and forcing them to leave. And mm-hmm. I absolutely believe if Steve heard that, that speech— he would have applauded. It, it's not unlike something Steve himself would have said. As Sam was saying it, that thought crossed my mind. I'm like, this is the kind of promo that Steve Rogers would mm-hmm. Steve would have said the same thing. I think it is inherently a, a problem we have in our society right now, but we've had it throughout the history of mankind, where we get so impassioned about our point of view that sometimes we, we lack perspective to see how the other side feels. And that's basically what Sam was saying. You know, what's the old cliche about walking a mile in a man's shoes type thing? Oh, yeah. If you um, walk a mile in their shoes, then you're a mile away and you have their shoes. <laughs> something well, like yeah. that. Well, I do quality assurance, which entails me looking at a lot of paperwork and making sure all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. One thing I've learned in that line of work is that it never hurts to have another set of eyes. And I think one of the issues that mankind has and I'm guilty of, we're all guilty of it to a certain level and at certain times. You may even take the time to look at it from the point of view of somebody else, but do you really try to understand it? Right. It's like, okay, I see that, and I get it. You, I, I often say when I get really philosophical, I'm always right and you're always right too. And I've been told, well, that's haughty, that's arrogant. I'm like, no, it's just my opinion, okay? And I don't hold an opinion that I think is false, and if I come to find my opinion is false— well, then I change my opinion, and yet, I, and so then I'm right again. That's what I mean by that. And I think sometimes when we're attempting to look at things through a different set of eyes, try how other people are seeing things, we get so impassioned about our point of view that we don't take the time to really look through their eyes. What's, what's that great line from Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel? People speaking words without hearing without listening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that was kind of what Sam was saying, wasn't he? Yeah, and to throw in another Simon and Garfunkel reference in the the song The Boxer, still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Yep. What would true national treasure Simon and Garfunkel were? Yeah. They, come they don't get <laughs> right. enough credit, man. They don't get yeah. enough credit. Paul Simon is a great songwriter. <laughs> now, back to the review. I mean, some of the major news points, I guess, coming out of this, some of these kind of fit, I think, with the comics. Some of them don't. The, the biggest one, I think, that doesn't jive with the comics, and I may have an explanation for this, was Sharon Carter turned out to be the power broker. Now, she right. was she on was the short on... list of suspects. I think mm-hmm. we were even talking about that possibility. 
As, I think we kind of narrowed it down to her or, or, or some variation of Arnim Zola. Was kind of our two guesses, wasn't it? Right, right. And she did get her pardon at the end, but she seemed to have ulterior motives because as soon as she left from getting her pardon, she's talking to somebody, possibly. Oh, Val. now I got access to the government. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I think we talked last week that Sharon and Val could be in cahoots. I had also floated out there that maybe she's kind of doing it as a means to an end. Well. Uh, I th- I think it brings up something interesting that I you I you and I have not talked about, but I, I'm kind of interested to hear your thought on this. I think that that whether you realize it or not, the fact that she's as this big international arms dealer, smuggler, whatever you want to call her, and the fact that she, the super soldier serum, which has been an over overarching plot theme in all the MCU, kind of is the main. MacGuffin, mm-hmm. let's be honest, outside the Infinity Stones. The fact that she was so hell-bent to get it, and now she's excited about having access to the government stuff. Does this really drive home the fact the void that is now left in Marvel in this created universe app with Tony Stark and his technology gone? You're talking about Tony Stark's technology being along the lines of the Super Soldier Serum? I, I... Just, just along the lines of that was the thing that everybody on both sides of the fence was Stark technology. Hell, that's the whole the whole point of the second Iron Man movie, isn't it? Right. <laughs> and right. Justin Hammer's existence. And it's 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 the question we always bring up. Well, how come remember we got this in the first episode? Well, didn't didn't Mr. Stark pay you, Mr. Wilson? <laughs> you know, it's right. it's I know that it's not there in the foreground, but it hearkened to me as Sharon was having that phone conversation. Wow, we haven't really felt the full ramifications of a Tony Starkless Marvel universe. Okay, that makes and sense. This, yeah. This kind of is going to do it. Everything he brought to the table, he was the public face of the Avengers and his Iron Man. The raft that Zemo gets put in, that's Stark technology. That's Stark technology. Obviously, I think they're setting up the Wakandans to kind of fill that void, and I think Shuri will do that. I think there's a possibility for Reed Richards, now that they have the point, to be another one that fills in that void. But I think that we have kind of gotten used to, as viewers of the film, over 10, well, it's 11 years now, 12 years now, all these fantastical things happening and not even thinking about the fact, well, 98% of it's because Tony invented it and created mm-hmm. it and built it. Well, that's gone now. It kind of is a shift in the paradigm. Do you see that now? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Uh, kind of along those lines, who do you think Valentina is re- representing? My, see, I don't even know because Hydra is not really a thing anymore. Right. They spent their, their, their last dollar poker chip on that one, I think, don't you? Yeah, yeah. pretty much Age of Ultron began with them ta- really taking it to Hydra, and I think uh, Winter Soldier was also kind of a final nail in the coffin of Hydra. Right, exactly, exactly. And I think Hydra was a nice fill-in for the main baddie in between Loki and this looming Thanos in mm-hmm. the background, and we got the payoff to the Thanos. Well, now Thanos is gone, Hydra's gone, Loki's got his own thing going on. You got to create some new bad guy, some overarching, uh, major universe-threatening threat. It brings up a good question. Who does she work for? Well, she's not working for Thanos because he's gone. She's not working for Hydra because they're gone. Loki doesn't want help to begin with unless it serves him. So where do you go? I don't see them elevating her to Thanos level or even Ultron level, but it could happen. It's Julie Louis-Dreyfus. At least it's a big-name actress. Right. Now, Valentina was supposed to make her debut in Black Widow, which I think we talked about it last week, and like right. we talked about earlier, that got delayed. So we'd probably have a clearer picture on where she stands after we see Black Widow. But, but in a few months, we'll get that. <laughs> right, right. 
One other plot point that I wanted to touch on was when all the, the remaining Flag Smashers were rounded up and put in that armored car, we saw Esnick blow it up remotely. And that kind of casts the the question of where does Zemo fit in this? Could Zemo be the one that's in cahoots with Val? That, that's possible. I, I, I think that's based on, on comic book. We were just talking earlier about what do you take from the comics and what do you cut out. That's a relationship that exists in the comics that I could see them going. And it's it's like, obviously you're not supposed to trust Zemo 100%. Yes, Zemo wants super soldiers destroyed. We saw that when he smashed all the, you know, the super soldiers when he had access to it. He reminds me of what's the bad guy from the first Incredibles movie? Syndrome. You know, yeah. Syndrome, yeah. It's like, it's like if everybody's special, nobody's special. That's kind of Zemo's point. It's like as long as there are empowered individuals, we're going to have this issue in, in our world. So who knows what he's up to? And we've talked already in our, our previous reviews. He's We know it's confirmed he's going to be a part of the Thunderbolts. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Right. Obviously, we've not seen the last of Zemo. We know this. What he's up to, maybe he's the new big baddie for the next few movies. The overarching one. Who could be? Could be. Yeah, one of them. I would not be surprised because we are getting him eventually. But I would not be surprised if all the time travel that went on in Endgame as well as what we're going to see in the Loki series I think I said before, it would not surprise me one bit if this gains Kang's attention because time travel is kind of his gimmick. So Yeah, and Kang you know. has already been cast, so they verified he's going to enter the MCU at some point. It's just a matter of when and in what capacity. We also saw John Walker, and I guess this is another thing that I could chalk up to winding things up very quickly, is the last time he saw Bucky and Sam, they were at each other's throats, and then he just kind of comes in at the end and is almost buddy buddies with Sam. Now, that could be because they had the common enemy and they thought, let's put our differences aside, kick some butt, we'll yell at each other later. But right. we we did see him in the U.S. agent outfit being called U.S. agent. We kind of figured that was going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. And again, this could lead to Thunderbolts, maybe Dark Avengers, because he's part of the Dark Avengers, kind of the evil Avengers. Uh, a lot of spaces they, they could go. My hunch... Uh, and. This will kind of wrap up my thoughts, kind of my prediction. My hunch is that Sharon is actually a scroll. Now, whether that's the same Sharon that was picking off guys to help Bucky and Sam when she made her first appearance, so to speak, or if that was a scroll as well, I don't know. But my hunch is she's going to be a scroll, and I think Val is part of the Leviathan group, which kind of got their start in the Agent Carter series that was running alongside. Right. Ages of Shield, which would kind of complete the connection to Black Widow. So those are those are my final two predictions on what I think is going to happen. I don't know if you had any well, other thoughts. Well, on the Leviathan front, because Agent Carter got canceled after two seasons, I don't think we saw as a full fruition where they wanted to go with that. And it's quite possible that Leviathan might be the, the main baddie in Black Widow and that Taskmaster actually works for them. Mm-hmm. Could be. So, you know, th- that would be a way to go about that. It, it, it makes sense. We were just just a few minutes ago talking about how Hydra's gone. Well, Leviathan was kind of parallel to Hydra. The Russo brothers have said they were fans of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter. That's why they cast, in the, in the, in the time travel back to the 70s in Endgame, that's why they cast, oh, what's James, Dar- James Darcy in the role of, of Jarvis because they liked his portrayal of the character so much. They kind of wrote that scene in with Howard and him 
just to give him a chance to be in their movie because they liked him. Mm -hmm. They have kind of said, at least what I'm reading and hearing, that they're going to kind of forget the, the Netflix and the agent, the, the, the ABC series we're talking about and kind of start over from scratch. But I do think there's going to be elements of those that are going to carry over. I really do. So that could be a definite one that they carry. Who knows? Like I said, with, with Agent Carter only lasting two seasons, we don't really know where Leviathan was going to go. They've already brought the Darkhold back, which was a key element in that one season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and brought it back. And it's obviously going to be a major plot point in Wanda's trajectory from here on out. So wouldn't be above them to use Leviathan either. I think that's a good – as far as Sharon being a scroll, I could see that. Of course, you know I like to pick on you. You're, you're such a fan of the Secret Invasion. You're just anything that's mm-hmm. <laughs> connection you can make to the Secret Invasion storyline. You're gonna you're gonna draw. But I, I think you're right. The last time we saw Sharon in the movies in a in a serious role would have been in Civil War, getting Sam his wings back and Steve his shield back and feeding that intel. I do not think that was a. I think that was right. the real Sharon. I agree. So the Sharon we're seeing now could be a scroll. That's all you know, to be decided. I guess a lot of those questions will be answered when that series comes out, which is what, twenty late 2022, I think is when it's slated to release? I think so. It is the Marvel series I'm waiting for the most. And in case you haven't heard by now, that Secret Invasion series is going to center around Nick Fury with Sam Jackson reprising the role. So it's basically a Sam Jackson TV series. And we've already said it's kind of obvious by the, the, the mid credit scenes at the end of WandaVision that Monica is going to have a, a major part in that as well. Agreed. I think, and I think you've actually agreed with me off mic before, this is probably going to also tie somehow into Captain Marvel too. I think so, yeah. Well. It just makes sense. If you're going to tell that story, you got to have one or two big time A-lister hitters involved in it. Captain Marvel, Monica, and Nick Fury all fit that bill, in my opinion. Well, we've talked before that we think Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, and Black Panther were going to be kind of the new big three. Maybe they're going to work Sam into that. I don't I don't know. Or if there's just going to be another Black Panther. We know they're not recasting T'Challa, but... Oh, know, we they're... both said on record that we feel that they're going to elevate Shuri to that mm-hmm. defender of Wakanda. And it, it makes sense. I think Letitia Wright does a good job. She's good in the role. She's a fan favorite. She brings something different than T'Challa brought because she has the technog- the technological skill, and that kills two birds with one stone. It elevates a character that's already established to replace what we sadly lost, and at the same time also fills in a possible void for what we talked about earlier with, with Stark and Stark's technology disappearing because of Stark, Tony right. dying. So. Right, because even by Wakanda standards, she knows a lot about tech. Yes, yes. All right, that's going to wind up our Falcon and Winter Soldier finale talk. When we come back, we're going to dive into the news that has come out since the series wrapped up. This is Geekville Radio, and we will be right back. Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Check out You Just Got Fried. Join host Jared Aubrey and this panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world, and of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFried.com part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. All right, we are back, folks, and we're going to talk news here. I know normally we talk news in the opening segment, but as I said before, this is news that broke after Falcon and Winter Soldier had wrapped because this has information that is directly connected 
to that series. It was, and probably the biggest one is that we are going to get a Captain America 4. Uh, it's untitled. I'm sure it's still in pre-production right now. And it's going to be written by Malcolm Spellman, who wrote most of the Falcon Winter Soldier series. And I think he's also got a staff writer on it as well. But what's funny to me is Anthony Mackie apparently went on record saying he found out they were making a Captain America 4 the same way everybody else did. He saw it on the Internet. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, I don't nice, think they're no, going nice, to have nice to. Nice to let the star know, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no. I don't think they're going to have to twist his arm to return to the role and such. But I just thought it was kind of funny that he apparently he didn't know about it either. Do you think this was a, a change in plans? that they Because we'd always heard they were kind of done with the original characters solo movies cap iron man thor do you think this was a change in plan because of a lot of things the death of chadwick bozeman some other things we brought up in the last in the last segment or do you think this is just was always was a plan all along it would not surprise me if it is a change of plans uh, because they never announced it now granted maybe if they had announced it beforehand there'd be people that say oh it spoils the end of falcon winter soldier when in endgame Steve hands off the shield to Sam, thus implying that Sam's going to be capped from here on. Right, and let's be honest. Is it really the same continuity? Because it's, it's it, yes, Captain America in title, but it's a different person carrying the mantle. Right. Or right. shield, as so to speak. And and Sam is, is brought up a lot in the show. He's not empowered like Steve. He's He just has to use his tech to get by, mm-hmm. you know? Right, right. He has to use his, his tech and his wits. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think that we'll get Torres as the new Falcon, like he is in the in the comics. Right. The sidekick character. Right. And I guess what interests me most is, like we talked about in the first segment, who the bad guy could be, and also whether this is going to coincide with any other movies that we already know. Are we going to get characters from the existing movies into this, or is it going to be completely standalone? I think it's pretty much a given we're going to get other MCU characters. Yeah, I think that's just what they do. It even right, though right. Doctor Strange as an origin story movie was kind of standalone, but then it ends with with the the Thor thing. So it's like, yeah, right. oh no, and, that was Ragnarok. They did Strange. Sorry, but yeah. my whole point is, even no matter, no matter how much they make it a standalone, somewhere in there they they tie it back in, so you realize that. I like. I, th- I think even if they don't plan to, they like to leave that door. You know what I'm saying? Right. And and maybe the series was a test where if it didn't go over right. as well as they thought they would they just scrapped the movie without ever announcing that it was well, being made in the first place. That begs me ask. I agree with you on Torres. Where does this mean Bucky stands? Does Bucky show up in this movie? Are they done with Bucky? Does Bucky maybe show up in Black Panther 2? That would make sense, you know? He's White Wolf. He even says so in 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 in, in, the, in the series. What is it what does Sam call him and he's like, "No, no, it was White Wolf." <laughs> he corrects right, him. Right. So so it begs me ask, where does Bucky stand in your opinion? Where does he go from here? I don't know for sure. Maybe he'll kind of do the Hulk role of he's supporting in all the other movies. Because I don't think in the comics he's had any other identity other than Bucky and Winter Soldier. He was Hilarious. Captain America himself, but he right. he, he doesn't. I don't know if he goes by anything else in the comics. Certainly not, he hasn't in the last year or so. White Wolf. That's the three that yeah. I know of. You know? Right, pretty much. So. Oh, well, and okay, well. In other MCU news... There's an article that I will link in the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 282, and that is there is a script being worked on for a Dark Avengers movie. And we talked about it a little bit in the first segment, and for those who don't already know, Dark Avengers is kind of like the Thunderbolts, where they were a team of villains kind of masquerading as heroes. 
So like like you'd said, it, it can be compared to Suicide Squad, where they're, they're villains that are right. actually sent on missions and such. And John Walker in the comics is part of the Dark Avengers. So maybe they might skip the whole Thunderbolts thing and just have Zemo and John Walker in it, or maybe they could do both. I, I think it would be a little risky to have two separate movies or series with essentially the same premise of villains masquerading as heroes. But either way, Marvel's uh, built up quite a track record. I think I'd have reasonable faith that they could do both. Yeah, I think they could. I I, I understand your skepticism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I wonder. You know, you were you were just talking earlier about Captain America four. Who does the baddie? We we speculated in the last segment, Leviathan possibly. Maybe this is where Sharon comes in as yeah. the power broker. That kind of throws a monkey wrench into your ideology of of she's a scroll. But that could also bring back what we've what we've mentioned in past episodes that maybe she's being mind controlled. There's a problem for that too. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're in the comics, so maybe mm-hmm. that's the twist, so to speak. I I personally think, and you brought this up in the last segment. I think all we're having to go off of is these two series and Spider Man Far From Home, and they really haven't done a whole lot. To, I, I think to lay the groundwork for where four's going, except just the first step, and they were all more about the fallout of the blip. I think a lot of this, and this is because of COVID, we've already brought it up. I, I think that a lot of these questions we have are simply because Black Widow did not come out because the plans all along was for it to come out first. So I think when that movie drops this summer, a lot of these questions will be answered or at least made a little bit more clear where they were going were, are going to be in that movie. And unfortunately, we got what we got. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So all this is fun right now, but I think we need to revisit this in our speculation segment of our review of that film when it comes out. And I bet you a lot of this will be, what say ye? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, And we've only got a few more months to wait till because it was July. Yeah, July, Black Widow will be out. And I think we also have Shang-Chi and the Eternals. September 2nd. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course, eternal. we've got Loki, Loki before all that in June. So, right. Though I don't think Loki, quite frankly, I don't think Loki was ever meant to be any big answer to any big questions. It's just a popular character having a lot of fun that they know is going to draw viewers. Right. He's arguably the biggest character from the MCU to get a series because he was, you know, the main bad guy in Avengers and he was in every Thor movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't get me wrong. I, I think there will be some ties to the overarching and. We have not seen the last of Tom Hiddleston as Loki involved in the larger MC outside his own show. But I do think that that that's not the main focus of that show. So, and it's possible. He is popular. A team up with him and, and like Kang or him and whoever, Leviathan, whatever. That could be down the road. But I, I, I go back to my original state. I think a lot of these questions that are very foggy right now will be cleared up greatly once Black Widow comes out and would have not been foggy to begin with had the release dates stuck to what their original plans were. Right, right. That makes sense. I'm just curious if there's any other villains that they could have as part of the team because uh, they're probably not taking anybody from the Spider-Man movies. But aside from Zemo and U.S. agent John Walker, I'm not sure if they have anybody that would qualify at this this moment. Maybe Batroc's still alive. We saw him get shot. We didn't get positive confirmation what, that he was dead. What's wrong with Ta- What's wrong with Taskmaster? Well, maybe yeah. That's a good good question too. And we know that that that, that is the main villain to Black Widow. 
once again, I, I think a lot of this speculation will be cleared up when that movie comes out. So we'll see. I, I, I do think that that we haven't seen the last of John Wall. I think he fits well in the Dark Avengers. I, I don't know. I can't remember from the comics who all is in the Dark Avengers in the comics. Well, it started out with Norman Osborn as Iron Patriot. Right, that's right. That's right. Yeah, there, it was Wolverine's son. I think it was Bullseye posing as Hawkeye. Yep, were, I remember yeah, that now. Yeah, and I think it was Scar posing as, as Hulk. They were basically all characters that were kind of derivatives of the well-known Avengers. Cause right, right. Iron Patriot is, of course, a takeoff of Iron Man and Bullseye being we've, Hawkeye and such. And we've already had we have already had their version of Iron Patriot because that was for a quick minute what Rhodey was. But now mm-hmm. he's what we know him more as is War Machine. Right. So right. even when you watch the credits now, any movie or he's in, even his appearance in this one, I believe they credit him as Colonel James Rhodes slash Iron or slash War Machine. That's kind of where we're going to go with him. So. For off the record, I'll, I'm with you. If we get a we get a standalone War Machine movie and or television show, I'm not going to complain. Well, I think we are getting one as a series because they have confirmed that there's going to be Armor Wars, which was a story I think in the early '80s and when early now, '80s that was yeah. around the time I started reading Iron Man. Yeah, it's good. It's right. good storyline. Yeah, so they just might have Rhodey play the role that Stark had in the comics. It'd be interesting once again. What do they remove? What do they keep? Because in the comics, of course, Tony's still alive. But he loses his fortune in Stark Industries because of his alcoholism, and it's a lot about him rebuilding. There's similarities to the Nightfall storyline for Batman, where Bruce has to reclaim the, the, the title of the cow from Azrael. There's some similarities in that storyline. It's Tony having to reestablish himself as the alpha armored hero. Obviously, Rhodey plays a large part in that storyline in the comics. So, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we're going to switch gears and dive into Mortal Kombat, the film that opened up this past weekend. This is Geekful Radio, and we will be right back. Attention all Time Lords and ladies. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not-so-favorite episodes of Doctor Who. From Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at geekgoradio.com. All right, we are back, and like said before, we're switching gears from the MCU and into the video game realm. As we record this, it is National Superhero Day, and, well, you might not consider Mortal Kombat to be superheroes, but many of them do have powers, and that movie opened up in theaters and HBO Max this past weekend. I watched it. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not a big Mortal Kombat game fan. I mean, I've played it from time to time. I'm familiar with the characters, but I have never been an avid player of the game or follower of the lore or anything like that. But I still liked it. Unlike the previous movie versions, this one definitely had the hard R rating, which I think is what fans wanted. Even the first video game, if it was made into a movie and stayed faithful, it would have been a hard R just because of the the whole fatality concept. So. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think you're a little more familiar with more, the Mortal Kombat games than I am, to, you know, correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it is a video game franchise that has an extremely intricate lore involved in it. 
that has gotten quite honestly a little bit confusing over time. So much confusing, they've essentially rebooted it with, I think it was Mortal Kombat X, the 10th game, where there's been time travel, and it's it, it's it's on par with any, with any comic books for the, the, the lack of continuity sometimes in the lore. And it's hard for people to imagine because of how realistic graphics are in video games now that the, the, the cheesy mocap pixelated blood of the 1991 original game was controversial at the time, but it was. And when the movie, when did the original come out? Like 98, 99, somewhere in there? Yeah, I think maybe 97 because I, I was working at a video arcade when, when it came mm. out. So fitting. So it was under 10 years from the release of the original game. And when it didn't get a hard R because of the controversy, like you said, the fatalities and the blood, that really made a lot of people mad. And I understood why they were doing it. I think one of the other reasons that that movie, I'll be honest with you, that the original, the original Mortal Kombat movie is not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination, but one of the better video game adaptations to film. Mm-hmm. And that's not a that's not a, a statement on how great Mortal Kombat was. It's more of a statement on how crappy so many video game adaptations have been. And you have to kind of know a little bit about the history of the game. The Johnny Cage character, which we'll talk more about Johnny as we go through the review. Johnny is obviously in the original games designed like Jean-Claude Van Damme. And when the game came out in the early 90s, Jean-Claude was the new hot martial arts action star on the scene. Chuck Norris was kind of past his prime. Of course, Bruce had been dead for almost 20 years at that point. Jet Li and, and, and Jackie Chan hadn't really caught over here in America yet. Seagal, I guess, was probably the only other big martial arts action hero at the time and they had made a deal with i think midway was the original designer midway games and mm-hmm. made a deal with jean-claude van damme and that that's what the game was supposed to be but he backed out and i can't remember all the reasons why jean-claude backed out they kept the look for johnny cage but just changed the whole game and that i think it always had a little bit of a, of a movie quality to it and i don't think that Ed Boon and, oh, what is something? Tobias. What is Tobias? I can't remember. But they're the two developers developed the game. I don't think they expected it to become the runaway hit it did. or to, and, and that's probably why the lore is so scattershot. Because they, that was not what they expected. And video games didn't have lore like that. It, it, it kind of developed along with the video game industry. To where, you know, you needed a lore to, to draw people back in. I think they laid a little bit of that down, but not a lot. I don't think a lot of thought was put into it. And so I think the first movie, the original, that it, you didn't take it seriously because the video game was never meant to be taken seriously. This is a fighting game. It was over the top. It was magical. There's magic, other dimensions and realms. And I think the actors, Robin Cho, especially as, as, as Liu Kang in the original, and Christopher Lambert as, as Raiden, they, they were able to, what's the word I'm looking for? balance i guess for like between a serious martial arts action movie and the campiness that, that should have been there a lot of the fans of the series of mortal Kombat are actually younger than us and they didn't come along until it was already this established franchise and a bit of lore so they i don't know if they understand where the video game industry was and what mortal Kombat represented in 1991 and so then they get this movie that isn't a horror or that, that is not how they perceive it and I think that was some of the backlash. I think they corrected that in some of this. Like I said, it's another reason I think the other movie 
let's be honest, doesn't stand up to time is CGI was very limited. And obviously the CGI from the original movie has not aged at all. Yeah, especially with Goro. Yeah, especially with Goro. But let's be honest, it has one of the most memorable and catchy industrial rave theme songs of all time. And, and you do not understand, unless you were alive in that era, that hypnotic pulsing beat music was actually popular. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it made kids of all ages just randomly just jump to their feet and yell Mortal Kombat. Right, exactly. It was for a generation before that, it would be the same as Parliament when that kind of funk came along. You just get up, right. you move. <laughs> but at George Clinton, it is not, okay? It's not Lucy right. Collins, but I digress. Now, you were talking about lore. I think uh-huh. it is kind of funny that the game would have lore over the years because even in the original game, in order to beat it, you had to kill everybody else. So right, how did right, I have a lore right. when only one person survives the first one? <laughs> right. And the, the, the main focus of this original, which they give us right off the bat, was the one piece of lore, I think, even before they realized the developers what it was going to become, was this backstory between Sub-Zero and Scorpion. And we get that right away in, the movie, in this new movie. And I think that it was extremely different than the original because the original Scorpion and, and, and Sub-Zero, yes, they look like Scorpion and Sub-Zero in the original movie, but they were portrayed as just generic ninjas that worked for the bad guy. And that is was never, even from day one in the game, what their history was. They do a much better job. At, and of all, those, all, the, all the lore that has been developed over time in the game franchise, I think that's been the one piece of lore – that is drawn fans in the most. You even said yourself, not a big big fan, not that knowledge, but you, you did know their back history. So there you go, right. right? Right. I think I texted you when I was watching it. I said something like three or four minutes in or something like that. We already have our first blood splatter. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had seen some of that early scene, the fight between Scorpion or Hanzo in his human form against Sub Zero in his human form. I had seen some of that already in some of the early, you know, marketing material. So I knew where they were going. And I was like, okay, this is going to make some fans very happy. Yeah, I, w- I was expecting the fight scenes to look like something out of those old cheesy kung fu movies that we all watched mm-hmm. on UHF stations on weekends. Right. And it had that except for more blood splattering. So I, I was quite happy with that. To go back to the original, one of the things I think that separ- – the reason I also say I think it's one of the better video game adaptations uh, is because – it was doing Hong Kong style wire work before The Matrix and before Blade, which were and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Drag, which were the three movies that were big time Hollywood productions in the '90s that kind of started that ball rolling in Hollywood. They'd never done it before, and the original Mortal Kombat movie predated all of them. So you don't have the wire work here, but I do think the choreography and what we've learned in those corresponding 15 years about how to uh, filmmakers have learned about choreographing fight scenes. It showed in the fight scenes in this movie. I'm sure you agree. Yeah. Yeah. And they, it's definitely better than the first ones. Like you said, now, as far as the characters you were talking about, it seems the main character in the movie, or at least one of the lead, if I understand it correctly, was an original character devised yes. for this movie. I, I'm assuming he's going to be in future games. I don't think you'd do something like that and not, Use the character again. You're talking about the character of Cole. Yeah. Who I thought Lewis Tan did a fine job playing. But they even tied it into the lore. Because if you, if you for those that don't know the lore, Scorpion has always been a fan favorite. He's the famous, get over here, character. He's a, he's a yellow-hued ninja character who uses an actual ninjutsu weapon, which is called a shung knife. It's, it's, a, it's a 
a hooked bladed knife that is attached to a, a length of rope with a weighted ring on the other end. And we see that right away in this in this opening scene where back in the 1600s, he in his human form is using that weapon. That was always presented in the game and never really given a backstory. It was given one here because that, like I said, that is a real ninjutsu weapon, has been for centuries. But in the comic books and in the video games and described more in this movie, when Scorpion is killed by Sub-Zero way back in the 1600s because they're members of rival ninja clans, Sub-Zero uh, allows himself to become a hired gun, so to speak, for the main bad guys, which is Shang Tsung. Oh, I can't remember the, well, who Shang Tsung's boss is, but the head of Outworld, and gets his Sub-Zero powers. Scorpion dies. Hansa dies, goes to hell, and then instead of being immolated by the flames, uses his anger to become Scorpion, this mystical character that is essentially a skeleton underneath his ninja robe. And he enters the Mortal Kombat tournaments to enact his revenge. Instead of having him do that in this movie, they just had one of his ancestors do it, which which I think is a good way to do it. Right. Shao Kahn, I think, is the name you're thinking of. Shao Kahn. That's Shao Kahn. There you go. Thank Mm -hmm. you very much. They don't bring him up in this movie, but they do show a a statue in honor of him on Outworld. And this movie (laughs) was clearly made with sequels in mind. I think they wanted it to be a movie franchise as well as a game franchise. So in that regard i can see why they held back on some of the characters they did have a a couple that were in later games but for the most part it was characters that were in the original game right the two big characters that showed up that played a major part that actually don't or sorry four of them that don't really show up until the second or third games are Jax and kung lao who are good guys and bad guys which is melina and cabal and, you know, it, I'm fine with that. They made sense. Or, and General Rex. All of those. Sorry, so there was five total. Three bad mm-hmm. guys, two good guys. They all made sense with how they used them. But they held off, like you said, on Shao Kahn, who doesn't really get a role until the second game anyways. They they teased at the end Johnny Cage. So I, I don't see how you don't have a series without Johnny Cage because he's such a fan favorite. Right. And speaking of Johnny Cage, one of the original programmers, I think it was Ed Boone, we were mentioning them earlier he Uh has agreed with the fan move and i don't think it was his idea i could be wrong but either way he endorsed the idea of the miz from wwe playing johnny cage which when you think about it i I think it's a yeah exactly because miz is not only a wwe guy he also has put out a few action movies so kind of makes sense that it would be him now that now I remember, I'm glad you said it brought it up. I think I think the reason why the Jean-Claude Van Damme deal fell through at the beginning of the development of the game is because he signed on to, to play Guile in the Street Fighter movie. <laughs> conflict of interest. <laughs> yeah, conflict of interest, which never made any sense because Guile in, in the Street Fighter games is presented as an American Air Force, I think, captain. Yeah, he's got the U.S. flag on his shoulder for crying out loud. Yeah, and they have a Belgian guy playing. (laughs) But that movie in and of itself is horrible, except for it is the last chance we get to see Raul Julia on film. And he looked like he was enjoying himself in that. Exactly. My understanding is he knew he was dying at that point, and he was willing to do a cheesy movie because they offered him a lot of money, and he figured, well, this is my last chance to make a paycheck before I die to take care of my wife and kids. And he looks like he is having an absolute blast in the role, like you said. And Raul Julia will always be one of our greatest actors. So to get a chance to see him ham it up and chew up scenery one last time is worth the price of admission for that crappy movie alone. But The Miz, you're not going to get you're not going to get Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's too old now. So 
Miz, I think, is a good film. I have heard some complaints online, and their complaints have been about what you're saying, that there weren't all the characters they thought like a Johnny Cage, and it seems like there wasn't a lot of, outside of the, of the rivalry between Sub-Zero and Scorpion, there wasn't a lot of development uh, in the lore. And I think, like you said, I think they this is they want this to be a franchise, and they want this to be a tentpole, and that's why they held back. Right. Agreed. It's a moose-boosh, an hors d'oeuvre, so to say. So to speak. Yeah. it's just something to get your palate wet that they gave us enough to where we're like peaked our interest. So we'll come back and see more App- appetizer before the main course, I guess. Exactly. But what were you going to say about Kung Lao? Who, by the way, is who I usually play as when I play the games, but I digress. I think in the movie, he had the best kill or fatality, which mm-hmm. he has a similar one in, in the games because he, he, he does. He you does. could saw him in half with the hat. And that's what he does with, I think. I wonder if it was Katana or Molina, I think, that he, that he did it to. Molina, Molina. Mm-hmm. But he just kind of has the hat going like a like a circular saw and so, just whoop, like, go. Yeah. Well, his original his original fatality, because he didn't show up to the second game. This is back when things were still mocap pixelated. He would just stand across you from the screen, take his hat off and throw it and it like a like a frisbee and would decapitate his opponent. That fatality you're talking about, which is one of my favorite fatalities in the game, he developed it later on. I think it was like nine, maybe when that one was developed, eight or nine, when the graphics and video games caught up to when they could do that. And of course, that is now a a mainstay of the franchise on video games is these brutalities and fatalities. There's over the top, the X-ray vision that's just completely over the top. And we got it isn't the only game true fatality we got to see. We got to see we also got to see his animality or Liu Kang's animality, where he summoned up the dragon. That bites you and bites you in half. We saw him. We saw Luke Kang do that. We saw Kano rip somebody's heart out, which has been his one of his fatalities from day one in the first game. So we got to see some of the fatalities. We did not get to see Jax rip somebody's arm off, but we did get to see the one we crush their head. That is a fatality of his in the game. Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping for Sonya's, which is one of my favorite fatalities. It's called the Kiss of Death, where she pulls up this magical element, kisses it on her hand, and blows it. It's like this big bubble that floats. And then lands on their opponent, and it, and it like just like acid, I guess, turns them into a skeleton. We didn't see that, but we get to see we did get to see the power bands where she shoots like the little little you know the sonic beams out of her arms. That's that's true to the game. I don't think you have Johnny Cage, which we're going to get there without doing the the Van Dam splits punch to the groin. <laughs> that's <laughs> iconic, and that isn't even actually Johnny's finisher. Johnny's finisher in the game is he just uppercut your head clean off your shoulders we did get to see some of though they weren't fatalities we did get to see some of the the signature moves of the characters in this movie I, that's the first time we didn't see this in the originals sub-zero like create a wall of ice and then throw an opponent through that wall of ice we saw that in his fight with with uh, cole you know like i said they did a much better job i think in this one with the get over here shung knife with scorpion and we also saw him pull his mask off and breathe the fire which was his fatality in the original game so I, I think, once again, there's enough there for the hardcore Ardent fans to go, okay, they're treating this with some deference and some reverence that we expected, but it's enough to, like you said, wet the, wet, wet the appetite with an, with an appetizer before the main course. I think we're going to get to see a whole lot more in the second one. I, I, I'm assuming, I haven't looked at the numbers, it's doing well. Everybody seems to be talking about it, so it seems like a lot of people watched it. Yeah, it was definitely the number one movie over the weekend. Okay, well, we all know it's Hollywood. It's not going to get a sequel unless it's a success. And if it is a sequel and it isn't a success, it's going to be straight to video. So (laughs) I wouldn't even be surprised if the showrunners or the movie, the producer, director already have a script for a second one. Would you be surprised? 
I would be surprised if there wasn't one that was in the works right. while, <laughs> while the first right. was being made. Completely off the topic, but, but, but you brought up Ed Boone late, earlier. For those that have played the game, and even those that haven't, they, they, they know this meme before memes existed. If you've ever heard somebody go, Toasty, that's mm-hmm. from the Mortal Kombat game. Whenever anybody that has fire powers, like Liu Kang, like Scorpion, would do their fire powers, on the video game, this little head would come on, and it would be somebody going, Toasty! That's Ed Boon. <laughs> that was his cameo in the game. And I think that, that that in and of itself is one of the great things about the Mortal Kombat game, is it kind of created a meme before meme even existed. Right. I'm sure you, you don't even play the game, and you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was the third game that did it, I want to say. I want to say that. I, I don't I think a lot of people caught on the, the reptile creature that that coal fights that spits the acid that was supposed to be reptile, which is, I think the third game, he was a hidden character in the second game. And I think he was fully playable from the load screen in the third game. If I remember right, one of the things they did with the limitations of video games at the time was they would just essentially color palette swap the ninja character. Sub-Zero was blue. Scorpion was yellow. Well, here came Reptile, and he was green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you find out in the game that he actually is a reptile. He's a he's a humanoid, bipedal, reptile creature. And he j- was just dressed like Sub-Zero and Scorpion. Right, and he spit acid, and his fatality was essentially he would shoot his tongue out like a chameleon, grab your head, and decapitate you and eat your head. I think they gave that to us here in this, just without the ninja robe. And, he, and, in, the, and in the movie, he, he has these cloaking powers. He does that in the game. He he could he could he could tell he could disappear and teleport to another part of the screen. So I, once again, yet another character. I think there was enough there that the hard ardent fans that have played a lot of the games like me go, okay, they're 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 treating this seriously. So I that that begs me to ask: You're not a fan of the video games. You don't play them a lot, but you do know some about them. You are a geek. Are you interested in a sequel that we're going to get? Yeah, yeah. I actually think that the sequel is going to be the tournament part because this one had more of a story than tournament. The tournament was part right. of the background, but I remember that well, tournament, line. Tournament essentially the, is the story. Right, but I, I just remember them saying, I th- it might have been Sonya that said it, which is like, I think they're going to have another tournament. Let me ask you this. Kano was always presented in the games as a bad guy from the get-go. Well, he had like turned his, his, his back on Earthrealm and was a straight-up bad guy, villain, heel, whatever term you want to use. And there wasn't a lot of humor to him. They made him somewhat of the comic relief in this movie. Did you have a problem with that? No, because I really didn't know that much about the character. I, I d- didn't know what nationality was or anything like that. But part of his comic relief in the movie, I think, was creative ways of dropping F-bombs. Yeah, I think so. But once again, to give a little bit of the lore, he's never presented early on in the game as Australian. It wasn't until they did the original movie in 97, 98 that I cannot remember the actor they cast to play him. He was Australian. That was so well-received by the fans that they just made him Australian in the video game. Right. It makes sense. They didn't have voices in the original game. So no, they go. didn't. They didn't. The only voice you heard was Ed Boon going, Toasty! <laughs> That's, or, or, or Shang Tsung, finish him. Flawless victory. Fatality. Come on. Mortal Kombat has become such a part of pop culture that everybody who's never even played or seen the game has probably heard some reference in real life or in another movie of somebody going, flawless victory, finish him. They've heard that before. That's how pop culture the game has become, you know? Right, they even dropped flawless victory into the lingo of the movie, too. Yes, yes, flawless victory. Uh, once again, while also reflecting, the original 
movie starred, oh, I cannot remember the actor's name. He's a wonderful Japanese-American actor. He was in, last thing I saw him was The Man in the High Castle. He played Shang Tsung. They changed the look in the video game to look after, look like the actor because he was so well-received. It, it's, well, we see comic books. When they did the Ultimates, the, the, they asked, well, how are you going to draw Nick Fury? Well, I'm thinking about Nick, Nick Fury, a black man. Really? What's he going to look like? Samuel Jackson. So they drew him to look like Samuel Jackson. Then fast forward 10, 15 years, and they're going to do movies now, and who do they cast to play Nick Fury? I, I think that geeks like us understand how comics, video games can affect more broader, appealing forms of entertainment. I don't know if the average fan, average people, do you? As far as just video games for entertainment? or Yeah, video games. Once again, we bring up Harley Quinn was not introduced to the comic books until she became a hit in Batman the Animated Series. Us geeks are onto something, whether you people know it or not, I guess is my point. Right, right. <laughs> we, 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 we influence pop culture way more than y'all want to admit because you don't want to admit you're geeks. But we're, we, wear that, we wear that badge of honor proudly. <laughs> right. I, I think I remember now he had like three names. It was like Kerry something. Folks, I just went to the wiki. Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa. That is his name. That who played Shang Tsung in the original movie. He was so well received that they actually changed how he looked in the games to look like Kerry. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he is an actor. He's one of those character actors. If you saw him, you know who he was. And they not only did they change the the character of Shang Tsung to look like him in the in the games. They changed the game's audio files to the finish him and flawless victory to be his voiceover. I told you, us geeks are onto something you, you normal folks aren't. <laughs> We're a lot more influential to mainstream pop culture than you guys ever want to admit. Well, I guess the only other question I would have in, in my mind, and it's one that obviously we don't know the answer to yet, which is how long until we get a sequel? One year, two years? That's a good question. Everything's so strange right now in Hollywood with still having restrictions depending on where you film and the the mass and distancing and who knows. I think a lot of this that's changing because the the vaccines are now out, but who knows? If we are right in our in our assumption that they probably already got a script, I'd say year and a half. When you say that's about right, yeah. year and a half. Yeah, sounds about right. And I also figured that many of the actors probably signed potential multiple picture contracts i I didn't really recognize any of the actors outside of lewis tam playing cole and mccod uh brooks playing jacks did you no i don't think i recognized anybody else and i I recognize i can't think of the actor's name that played played the human form of scorpion i've seen him before too i cannot think of his name right now he's also a japanese american actor and, of course, I know McCad Brooks from Supergirl because he was Jimmy Olsen for the first couple seasons right. there. Well, I, I remember him originally as Eggs in the second season of True Blood. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I know you didn't watch True Blood because I'm the horror guy and you're not. But, you know. Although McCad Brooks definitely hit the weight room before he did this movie. Oh, yeah. He looked he looked good. I always said they didn't bring his character along until the later movies when they were, were direct to video. But I think they missed the ball in the 90s not casting Michael J. White as jacks you said you agree with that <laughs> oh yeah that would be that'd be perfect casting oh yeah jacks for those that don't know is a african-american colonel special forces who loses his arms and has them replaced by bionic arms and he is jaxed both literally and figuratively he's he's he's, he's the tank power guy of the game i think it's a good way to describe him i think so too all right that's going to wrap it up for this edition number 282 of geekville radio And if you like what you heard, definitely check us out on the podcatcher of your choosing. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. You can just do a search for Geekful Radio and you should get all of our 
shows under the Geekville Radio banner. And Train, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, where can they find you? Always find me on Twitter at CrazyTrain underscore JB. That is my handle across almost all forms of social media platforms that I'm members of or I have an account on. So just do a look for that. It says Jonathan Bullock, it's me. I wanted to go ahead and mention before we wrap it up that we know Godzilla versus Kong has been out for, what, about three weeks now? And it was the big movie before Mortal Kombat. We are still going to review that. We've been telling you for the past listeners for the past couple of us we're going to. Problem is, uh, our resident kaiju expert, Uncle Greg Okaba from Pittsburgh, who's been on multiple podcasts here in the Geekville family, he's usually who we turn to for any kaiju, and he's agreed he wants to do a review with us. We just haven't been able to connect with him, and we really want him involved when we do a review. And when we do get a hold of Greg and we're able all to come up with a time between the three of us, we will do that review and because Greg will be involved and also Seth being a big Kaiju fan, expect that review to be an entire one hour episode. Don't you probably agree? Pretty safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. So for once it's weird because usually the horror monster stuff is me. I'm actually the third wheel in that, that trio, which is an unusual place for me. I often, when we've done, when we've talked Kaiju on examining the dead, the show I host that's horror centric cheap plug we've had greg on before that's that's how much i i'd like i usually cede to him when it comes to kaiju knowledge so if you're expecting to tune in or wondering what that promise was made but not lived up to that's the reason so it's it's if greg if you're listening to this please text me back we want to do that review and we are on social media facebook and twitter are both at geekville radio anything on the geekville radio website geekville you can respond there let us know how we're doing. Get a, give us some feedback. As I always say, I'm always in search of a way to better this show. And the only thing I ask for if you give us feedback is just be genuine. I'd rather hear honest criticisms than people just saying, oh, oh, everything was great. So once again, thank you folks for listening. We're going to be back sooner rather than later when it comes to our next edition of Geekful Radio. And we got a couple other spinoffs in the other Geekful Radio family heading your way. So we will talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. I still remember playing, I think it was Mortal Kombat 3, when you'd uppercut somebody down into the pit and there'd be these spinning blades that would chop mm-hmm. the person up. And if you look closely, sometimes you'd see three rib cages coming out of the same body. How do they do that? <laughs> <laughs> Limits of pixelation. <laughs> right.